thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Today, we are concluding this section of our sermon series on the Gospel of John. We'll be looking at the text, John 8, 12 through 58, in the story where Jesus declares that he is the light of the world. This week, we take a look at both light and truth and what Jesus meant by these things, as well as how they apply to our cultural moment. Then, we take a look at the authority Jesus can make such claims, which becomes clear that it is the authority of God. So the story we're in, I mean, we are in the Jesus story and, and in the, as Nalanda said, the beginning of Holy Week, Palm Sunday, but we've been in the Gospel of John and uh, we're not in that part of the story. So you have to make a little shift uh, here where this isn't a Palm Sunday text per se. Uh, we're just following along um, on a multi-year walk through the Gospel of John and where we are in that part of the story, we just got to back up a little bit. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's at a different feast, though. He's at the Feast of Tabernacles. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, um, there was lots of division around who people thought Jesus was, lots of different opinions. And then last week, uh, Susan uh, walked us through a great text where uh, they try and trick Jesus by bringing uh, a lady in front of uh, Jesus, who'd been caught in adultery, and the whole thing about do you stone her or not, um, and that that sort of happens in there too. But we're still in John chapter eight, and we're still in Jerusalem. We're still in the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, so it's kind of a long, lots of things going on here. But let me let me just um, let me read you a bit of a text here in John chapter eight, bring you back into the story, and see where we go from there. So John chapter 8, verse 12, this is now right after the story that Susan walked us through last week um, of the uh, lady brought before Jesus and Jesus not condemning her. When Jesus spoke again, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness, and your testimony is not valid. Well, Jesus answered, well, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where, um, and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if you do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. It is your own, in your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. The other witness is the Father who sent me. Well, then they asked him, well, then where is your Father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offering were put. Yet no one seized him. 
because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord. So his hour had not yet come. That hour will come. Um, And that's where this Holy Week will walk us toward, to the hour when Jesus is arrested, tried, uh, convicted, and crucified. Uh, But in this part of the story, uh, the central issue is questions of identity and authority. They're... The Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to get him to sort of stumble over his words. And what they're pressing him on in this moment is, yeah, Jesus, who are you? Who do you say you are? Where do you come from? Where are you going? Like some of that narrative. And then who gives you authority? Like where does that come from? And I want to suggest to you that those are actually very relevant questions today too. We may not quite ask them that way, but people do at some level, answer them. People will answer the question, who is Jesus? For some people, they answer by paying Jesus no attention whatsoever. But they've answered the question, Jesus doesn't matter. Like, who do you say Jesus is? And we have some, if you're gathered in this community, if you're part of a faith community, you probably have some answer to that, who you say Jesus is. And then why does he have authority? Right? As Christians, we would claim that we follow Jesus. We listen to his words. We seek to obey. Why Jesus? Why his words? Why not someone else? Why not the celebrity of the day? Okay, these are the questions that are going on in this text. And if you, as you go through chapter 8, um, the conversation, the discussion gets quite testy, actually, uh, to say the least. At one point, uh, Jesus calls out the Pharisees and, and says that their father's the devil. Um, I invite you to try that in your next staff meeting. Right? Say, oh, your, your dad's the devil. See how that goes. Okay, that's a sort of a, a fairly, um, yeah, people aren't going to respond well to that. Uh, they go through kind of some theological sort of challenges to Jesus, and then when that doesn't work, they resort to just name-calling. And they call him out saying, you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed, is what the Pharisees accused Jesus of. This too feels highly contemporary to me, where you can have conversations with people about an issue, and at a given point, that conversation falls apart, and they just start calling you names. Right? This, this happens. Oh, I don't know, you're just an idiot, Right? is kind of how the conversation sometimes goes. Well, this is sort of what's playing out here, okay? This is, we're, tends out we're not that modern, um, or the Bible's not that ancient. It's just talking about very real sort of conversations that are still happening. Well, this is what the Pharisees claim Jesus is, is a Samaritan, which is a derogatory, uh, term in, in that culture at the time and demon-possessed, but Jesus has some things of his own to say, and that's what I want to pay attention to. We're just going to look at three things this morning very briefly on who Jesus says, because remember, we're looking to make Jesus more clear, right? That's the journey of Lent, so this is still a semi-veiled picture, but the picture of Jesus is becoming a bit clearer. I trust you can begin to see that now. Uh, We'll remove another layer yet this morning. Three things we'll look at. The first is the first thing Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Okay, as if you remember when Jesus, this is one of his I am statements, right? Several weeks back now, we talked about I am the bread of life. Now this is I am the light of the world. And as with the bread image, so with the light image, it's steeped, literally steeped in Old Testament imagery. So think for a moment in the Old Testament where light appears. What stories come to mind? Any? Creation. The other really big story in the Old Testament. The, the, well, the flood, uh, there would be light in that story. The Exodus story, right? They're led by a pillar of light. Okay, it, this, the theme of light is woven through the Psalms, right? Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Like those kind of verses might come to your mind. Um, Isaiah constantly talking about light and how uh, the people in, in, in Galilee or the people in, in Judea have seen, um, have seen a great light. Right? That's a Christmas text we often read. It's steeped in that kind of imagery, but for our purposes this morning, I want to focus very much on just sort of the property of light. Light pushes back darkness and allows us to see. That simple. So, Jenna, turn off the lights for a moment. It's not going to be super dark in here, but it's dark-ish. Okay? Use your imagination. But this, if I shine it, will help you to see. Right? If it was pitch dark in here and you kind of like, if I wanted to read at this point, I'm going to need this light to read. That's how light works. It pushes back darkness and lets you see. Thanks, Jenna. Okay, that's, and it picks up a, th- a thread from the Psalms. Psalm 36, great text, this one. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God, People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Psalm 36. In your light, we see light. What C.S. Lewis says on this is, I believe Christianity because I I believe... Sorry, let me read. Let me say it right. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Right? And this is what Jesus now is saying about himself. He's saying, not only am I light, but I will help you see light. Okay, that's what's embedded in this image. And I want to just pause here and ask you rhetorically, okay, so what? You live in Calgary, you can flip a light switch, lights go on. Um, like, how does this metaphor actually play out in your world, your life, 2023, Western Canada? Let me give you a suggestion. You may have noticed, maybe, that the world we live in is growing increasingly complex and for some of us, confusing. Maybe that's not your reality, but it is. it feels like mine about. Let me give you some examples. Let me sort of bring you into this. So, some of the issues, okay? This is not an exhaustive list. Some of the issues in our world. Medical assistance in dying. And there's a lot of opinions about that in our culture. And where that legislation's going, and where, if we should even have legislation, and on and on. Gender dysphoria. 
and people struggling to understand who they are in their bodies. The Me Too movement, legalization of marijuana, polarizing political ideologies, free speech. Where are the limits of free speech? Are there limits to free speech? Black Lives Matter, indigenous rights, the war in Ukraine, gun violence. There's another shooting in the U.S. this week. Why doesn't that ever end? Climate change. We live in the age of smartphones. How do you use them? How do you use them well? Social media, TikTok, whatever that is. Chat GPT. I could actually have an AI write my sermon for me now. He didn't, truly. I did write this. But, But it could happen, right? Or you could have, like, I'm not suggesting you have them do your homework, but it could happen. Uh, inflation, poverty, addiction issues, mental health challenges. And I haven't even talked about raising kids in that kind of environment. You see how complicated and challenging that all is. This is not a limiting list. None of these things were talked about when I was a kid. Not one of them. But they're all being talked about in my kids' world. And I'm trying to help them navigate it. I don't even know how to navigate it most of the time. I feel like I'm in the dark. I'm confused. I can't possibly know everything about everything. And if I, even if I did know about these issues, TikTok would be passe in a month, and it'll be something else. There'll be another set of issues. But in the midst of this confusion and potentially feeling like in the dark, hear Jesus' words again. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. I have a sense that the way to navigate these issues isn't only, and perhaps not even primarily, to plumb the depths of every single issue. Who has that kind of time and knowledge? I have a sense that what Jesus is inviting us into is follow him. He'll shed light. He is the light. By his light, you'll see light. Right? That's what he says. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. I don't know how to navigate all of these issues. I'll be honest about that. Some of them are super complex and highly nuanced. I have good friends, Christian friends, who think very differently about most of this stuff than I do. And I think the invitation is to walk with Jesus to spend time with Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to be embedded, to let my life be embedded in his life, to let his life shape mine. By his light, I can see light. I might have the wisdom and the grace and the humility to walk into some of these spaces and conversations. Do you see how that might work? So I think the invitation, for sure we need smart Christian people in all of these places. But what we need is people who are deeply, deeply in love with Jesus, first and foremost, and allow his light to be our light and through his light to see light. That's the invitation, I think, in this text. Well, that's only one thing Jesus says about himself. I am the light of the world, actually. Another thing that Jesus says is the truth will set us free. I didn't read that part of the text, but let me pick it up now. It's quite familiar to many of you. In verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
Oh, they answered him, hey, we're, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? Now, aside from a shocking memory lapse, like Abraham's descendants have totally been slaves to people. Like, what are you saying? But aside from that, don't miss the qualifier in Jesus' words. If you hold to my teaching, you are my disciples. And the invitation is to hold on to the teaching of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the words of God. And be rooted there and allow it to shape us, right? To hold, to cling, and not to let go. That's sort of the image here. If you cling to my teaching, if you hold on to it, grasp it, don't let it go. You'll be my disciples and then you will know the truth. And while it's, it becomes a lot clearer later on in John, it's a little bit veiled here, but certainly implied truth that Jesus is inviting us to know is relational. It's a person. Later on, Jesus will actually say, I am the truth. Another one of his I am statements. So it's not just if you kind of get a bunch of head knowledge and become super smart. It's if you're in relationship to Jesus is what he's inviting us to. And as we enter into relationship with Jesus, that truth, the person of Jesus will set us free. And here, too, the word freedom, we kind of read in North American uh, definitions of that word. Freedom is often translated or defined as, well, you can do whatever you want. That is not a biblical definition of freedom at all. What freedom is envisioned here is to be who God has made you to be. You're free to be who God has created you to be. Not free to do whatever you want. That's actually anarchy, if you want the proper word. And it's in contrast, again, I haven't read all of this text, but it's in contrast to where Jesus goes on to talk about how the people he's dialoguing with are, are, are corrupted by lies and are listening to their father, the father of lies, the devil. And that's where he makes this very testy accusation, calling their father the devil. But Jesus is offering truth. Jesus is truth, and that truth will set us free to be our, our most true selves. Our identity found in Jesus. Things that we discussed in the, in the Ephesians sermon series that were found in Jesus. Now again, I just pause here and ask, okay, so what? How does this, how does this land, this metaphor of Jesus being truth and truth setting us free, how does that land for us? Because we too would say, well, we've never been slaves. Probably true. Uh, you haven't. So it can be difficult to connect to this language. But in the context of the text, where Jesus talks about lies and the father of lies, I am going to suggest that we have all been affected by lies. And lies can enslave us in a very particular way. Okay, this is a long story that I can't possibly tell you uh, here this morning. Uh, But I'll just tell you just the the surface level of it. But because of some, you know, we've all we've all been shaped by our narratives, by the way we've grown up and the experiences we've had. I'm no different. And so some of my experiences have shaped in me this, this sense that God, I believe that God is present, but I'm not always sure that he's present. 
and there's all kinds of reasons why I could ex- why that sort of has become part of my narrative where I'm not not always sure that God will show up uh, because lots of people in my life who probably should have shown up didn't actually and so that has has bled into how I understand how God operates and and it shapes us but it's a lie Right? The Bible is actually quite clear that God is present. It's one of Jesus' names, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus will say several verses later, I will not leave you as orphans. He'll come to you. He gives us his spirit who indwells us. We're not alone, and yet I am still a slave to the lie. And one of the ways that plays out for me, that lie, is if I don't think God is present, then everything I'm doing depends on me right if I don't think God's going to show up but this all needs to get done who has to do it me and I remember um, some years back four five years wherever it was um, when the council at the time was in dialogue about uh, Keith transitioning to crossroads and me perhaps stepping into the lead pastor role lead that lead role taken over from Keith and I remember talking to Cliff, and I said, yeah, I don't know, Cliff, if I want this job. I just, it's just going to feel like such a weight, all that responsibility. And he says, he says, we're not that kind of church that would do that. And he's right, you're not, so thank you, you're not. But I'm that kind of person, is the problem. I've got this narrative that says I'm on my own. It all depends on me. And it's a lie. I know it's a lie, but it's hard. I'm being changed. But this is what the truth does. It sets us free. Because we are slaves to lies. So imagine my surprise some weeks ago when I'm reading a book, one of my favorites, to Jackson. Uh, I was reading Watership Down, so I'll try not to give you too many spoilers because you may or may not have read it. It's a book about rabbits. They talk. It's really cool. Um, There's a point in the story where it all looks pretty dark and miserable. Like uh, there's a character, a rabbit. It's a rabbit name. Bigwig is his name. Uh, It's a nickname. He is trying to accomplish something. He's been on his own for quite a while. Everything that he's planned has sort of fallen apart. And he just makes his desperate uh, surge into the unknown I, really, he just, and, and he, he comes to this point where it's like all going to, like, he just says, well, I tried, and I failed. And it's all about to, like, go down. If you don't know the story, it's all about to go downhill for him at this moment. And all of a sudden, he hears a voice behind him from a friend, another rabbit called Silver, who says, I'm here, bigwig. What do you want us to do? And I'm reading this story. I've read it a hundred times, this story. I'm reading the story to Jackson, and I just about can't keep going. Truly. I'm tears. I'm crying. Why am I crying? What am I hearing? What is God saying? You are not alone. Right? This rabbit that sidles up beside Bigwig and just reminds him, you're not in this alone. And it's the voice of God in that moment to me speaking deep truth and setting me free. And Jesus is that truth. 
But again, I ask the question, because Jesus here makes profound claims. Like, uh, by the end of the story, the Pharisees are quite angry (laughs) and are looking for a way to kill Jesus, which they will do. Because Jesus claims to be light, the light of the world. Jesus claims to be truth and that his truth can set you free. But why his light? Why his truth? Why would you ever follow Jesus? Why not follow Drake or Beyonce or whoever you want to follow, some political leader or a sports figure, right? Or Buddha, for that matter. Like, why Jesus? Where does he get his authority? How can he say those things? And why am I up here inviting you to follow Jesus? Well, the third thing. So Jesus says he's light. Jesus says he's truth. The third thing I want to show you, and this is, I think this is gold. I want to read you this text. Um, again, it's embedded in the story that we're looking at. Verse 27 through 30. Uh, he's in this theological part of the dialogue, and they didn't, and it says they, the, the leaders, the religious leaders, did not understand that what he was telling them. That big surprise. They didn't ever really understand. But then Jesus said, this is what he says. Listen carefully, please. He says, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what my father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for, and I always do what pleases him. And even as he spoke, many believed. Now, if you listen carefully, you'll hear the phrase, um, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He. Okay, and you can kind of pick up the I am. So there's a number of I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. They usually have like a, I think that's called a predicate, where they've got this kind of I am something. But they, they also take slightly other forms in the Gospel of John, and this is one of them where he says, I am he. It's the same Greek construction of words. But more significantly, uh, that phrase, I am he, I want you to notice how it is woven through Isaiah chapter 40 through 55. And if you're familiar with Isaiah at all, there's a whole series of songs in Isaiah called servant songs where the servant of the Lord is identified. And just listen to how this phrase gets spoken in Isaiah. Most of these are God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Who has done this and carried it through calling forth generations from the beginning? It is I, the Lord, the first of them. And with the last, I am he. From ancient of days, I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Even to your old age and gray hairs, really good news for some of you, even to your gray hairs, I am he who sustains you. I have made you and I carry you. I will sustain you. I will rescue you. Listen to me, Israel, whom I have called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. And Jesus' words, when you have lifted me, lifted up the son of man, you will know that I am he. 
Do you see what Jesus is saying? And the Pharisees caught it. Jesus is saying that he is God. Blatantly in that text. He is clearly identifying himself as God. Not with God, but as God. And that's why he has authority to say, I am the light of the world. That's why he has authority to say, my truth will set you free. Because he also says, I am he. I am God. Now you can dismiss that. For sure. Lots of people in the text did. Lots of people in our culture do. You can dismiss that. But if you want, if you're giving some thought to who Jesus is in your life, this is who Jesus is. He is the light, and by his light you will see light. He is the truth, and that truth will set you free, because he is God. That's why he has authority. This is who he is, this is his authority. And all of us are going to have to sort of sit with that a little bit and say, Am I, do I allow Jesus' authority in my life? Do I allow his light to shine into my life? Do I allow his truth to reshape me? Do I allow him to have authority? Let me just close with this. Last thing I want to say. Notice, go back to that, that phrase I just gave you. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. So that phrase, then you will know that I am he, clear, clarifying I am God, when will they know it? When he's hanging on the cross. Let that sink in. The people will most clearly see who Jesus is, who God is, when he's lifted up on the cross. That is the clearest representation of the heart of God, his posture toward his creation. When you have lifted up the Son of Man then you will know that I am he. So this week, friends, as we journey through Holy Week, have this phrase as a guide. And as we walk with Jesus to the cross, know that when we see Jesus lifted up, Good Friday, and when we stand in the silence and in the confusion of Holy Saturday, And when we regather on Easter Sunday, this is the story that we tell again and again because it shows that Jesus is God. I am he. And this is my posture toward you and toward my creation. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources to help further your study throughout the week, you can go to vbchurch.ca forward slash sermons.